On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss cloppy complacency, review the latest on vaccine mandates, note the end of the ASCs being permitted to become temporary hospitals, and in our focus segment, discuss how to make your center a top performer with Tori Callett from USPI. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 146 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for December 27th, 2021. Recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry, and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So we'd like to wish everybody a happy holidays. We're recording here after Christmas on uh, mm-hmm. on December 27th, and uh, we will probably be recording an episode every day in order to get caught up with all, all of our uh, interviews that we've been doing and really a lot of news. We've been mm-hmm. way behind. I'm sure you all know that. It's been over a month since we published our last episode here, and uh, we've got so much to do. We have so many interviews, Sue, too, that we've got to – fit in too. Yep. So, uh, and a lot of news. So, uh, today we're just going to focus on, uh, kind of some important stuff that's going on and, uh, do an interview that we did uh, back in, I think it was October, September, October, uh, with Tori Kalett. So, um, so, uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to have a lot more within the next uh, week or so. And Sue, so we just finished up our semi-annual retreat here in Spencerport. We always yep. do it just before Christmas. It started out as a holiday tradition, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, then turned into a retreat. And it was uh, two and a half days here. We had uh, how many people? We had like 15 people here in Yeah, person. and a couple of couple on Zoom that couldn't quite make it here. Yeah, it was very nice. It was kind of uh, getting crowded. We can't hire too many more people without uh, moving <laughs> into bigger space here. So... Uh, but it's a good opportunity for us to reconnect, you know, especially being a virtual company. It's hard to kind of keep in touch with each other. We have our normal morning, you know, Monday morning meetings, but uh, there are so many things to discuss. And, you know, it's you know, with a lot of new employees, it's a good way to uh, help make sure our staff is on on track uh, at Amateur Healthcare Strategies. And if the fall conference is where we try to focus on the needs of our clients and, and our listeners, too. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about the, the podcast. So we did do a, a, a hour-long yep. um 
conversation with uh, that was a lot of people on that uh, podcast. Yes, <laughs> and I know you just finished editing that. The sound quality was not the greatest, but uh, no, but it was a big room, and uh, you know, trying to get everybody on there. But yeah, you know. yeah. Well, I mean, it's where our microphones are getting better. Uh, they seem to pick up a lot, uh, but uh, we'll we'll have that probably toward the end of the week. We'll get that one out. Um, and, you know, a big part of what we were uh, doing uh, during this retreat is kind of realigning our service offerings over at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies to better uh, meet the needs of our, our clients and really kind of work on what we're going to be talking about on the podcast and with our virtual mm-hmm. conferences, which have really taken off. And speaking of that, Sue, we just finished up the November boot camp for nurses. It was a great success. What did you think of it? You had a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, exhausting. Yeah, but it's always so nice because we get a lot of um, input from everybody. I think people really enjoy that. You know, being able to ask questions and and yeah. being able to kind of meet the other participants. So, yeah, I think and, and we get a lot of positive feedback that we do. People really learned a lot. There's there's not a lot of places to learn everything and, that you need to learn for that position. Yeah, and you know, I wish it was in person, but really, this is you know, it's time so limited for all of our listeners, you know, ourselves. Um, it's a pretty efficient way of doing things. That's a heck of a lot cheaper than uh, doing something in person. Yeah, and of course, every time we have a boot camp, we get something out of it where you know, we really need to do maybe a day-long yeah. seminar or you know, a day-long podcast or um, a shorter boot camp on, on these different specific areas because there, there's yeah. always something that, that we wish we could have spent more time on. Yeah, we're going to be working on uh, on a couple ideas that came out of that. We'll be talking more about that soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those boot camps, by the way, are recorded and self, uh, self-paced versions, in other words, non-aligned versions, are available. Though uh, the people that attend those uh, self-paced versions, they still are able to participate in our weekly uh, drop-in sessions and um, you know, I still get all the materials. The only difference is they can't interact for four days with uh, their fellow members. But it's uh, it's still a very uh, viable option for those that just can't take four days away uh, to be on Zoom. Our uh, next boot camp is going to be our administrator's boot camp. It's going to be February 1st through the 4th. It is already filling up. We're about 25% filled already, Sue. Mm-hmm. I don't think I uh, told you that already, but we're uh, we're getting there. So uh, do sign up soon again, ASCPodcast.com. And we have our uh, upcoming quarterly update for all of our patron members. Patrons, uh, one of the benefits they have is a couple-hour uh, quarterly update. Uh, uh, update session where they can interact with other patron members. And uh, that is going to be on Wednesday, December 29th at 7 p.m. So if you're a patron member, uh, make sure you uh, join us for that. You should have gotten an email, and I think we'll probably send another email out to remind you. And if you're not a patron, you know how to do it. Go back to ASCPodcast.com and follow those links. So, Sue, we've got some uh, some news. Uh, we're going to focus on just a couple items here because it will take us a while just to go through these items. So I, th- I saw this one article from uh, Dr. McKee, who is the Executive Vice President and CMO and Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the Joint Commission. And, Sue, we, you and I have been talking about this, and we've been talking about it as a group, and we talked about it during the the, um, mm-hmm. the retreat also is, uh, you know, I guess you would call it fatigue. Uh, they refer yeah. to it as complacency. So I just want to read the quote that they had here. Uh, And again, this is from uh, the Joint Commission from Dr. Anna McKee. And she said, She said, if I could fix one patient safety issue overnight, I would eliminate the complacency regarding quality improvement and patient safety that currently exists in healthcare. Complacency is accepting patient harm as a byproduct of care. And while understanding that certain serious events create a sudden sense of urgency and attention, typically complacency sets in over time. So I thought this was an interesting comment because I I think uh, perhaps Dr. McKee was talking 
largely uh, about, you know, larger healthcare institutions mm-hmm. where, you know, a corporate mentality tends to set in after a period of time. But I do think it happens in our surgery centers too. And I think it, I, I found it interesting because I think in today's environment where we have so many other things going on, we're trying to find staff, we're trying to figure out what to do with, uh, you know, these outbreaks. We have a number of centers recently, Sue, that, you know, have had to shut down because the too many of their staff members had uh, been, uh, you know, tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And you come back for something like that and deal with all of the uh, the work that has to be done to catch up. Uh, you deal with the ongoing challenges of trying to keep a place open in this environment yeah. and keeping up with all the regulations. We know mm-hmm. how difficult it is for us to keep up with it. And, you know, I and mean, this is what we do full time. Uh, it's very difficult for um, the people that we work with to keep up with all the stuff that we're uh, throwing at them on a daily basis. So I think I... I I can see where they're coming from, and I, I, I worry too that if we don't do something about this, if we don't, you know, kind of get ourselves back on track here, mm-hmm. that we're going uh, to find ourselves in a situation where the quality of care is going to diminish, and that would be a bad outcome from you know what's happened with yeah. uh, COVID. And I do think that. A lot of people that, you know, they get used to their routine of they write up incident reports, they they keep track of all that stuff, but really. Um, vigorously going after what caused something and really trying to change policies or change the way you do things to avoid any, you know, to like John would say, to close the loop, you know, so you can figure out what happened and how to avoid any of this harm in the future. I think that just takes a lot more effort and it can be overwhelming when you're short on staff and you're just trying to figure it out. And what they noted farther on in this article and what Dr. McKee said also was aiming for zero harm. Don't accept, and like you said, it's probably more the bigger hospitals, but they maybe have this certain percentage of mm-hmm. incidents that they say, okay, well, we're still running, you know, we're, we're not getting higher numbers of incidents, or even in ASCs where we're benchmarking for an acceptable rate. Mm-hmm. But really, nothing should be acceptable. It, it may happen, but you want to strive for less. Right. And, you know, that reminds me of the speaker we heard once at one of the conferences, um, Ridley Barron, and he had lost his son to to a medical error in a hospital, I believe it was. But he was going around just speaking to different medical um, facilities just to remind you that that one accident or that one mistake, you know, it really matters to that family. It can, you know, he was really pushing for that zero harm because nothing is acceptable. Right. When you're Um, the, when you're the victim or your family's a victim. Yeah. And even the people that caused the problem that, you know, trying to live with what had happened, he had just really quickly, he had, he had lost his wife in an auto accident. His son was injured, was recovering, and then he was given um, the wrong dose of some medication and his son uh, passed away. So, you know, it was just heartbreaking. And, And I think the people that, were involved in it too, or were just well, the destroyed quit. by it. She, she yeah. uh, left that yeah. career. Uh, we interviewed him. I uh, I can't remember when, but I'm it sure there's an episode out there where we talked yeah, about it. But, it was, yeah, this yeah. complacency issue, I think, is is probably a growing issue that we have to keep an eye on. So uh, I think uh, you know we're going to kind of focus on that a little bit as mm-hmm. we uh, move forward into the next year. Can we believe it? We're going to be starting our fifth year doing this. So yeah. Um, you know, next year. Well, let's talk a little bit about the vaccine mandate. Um, I'm sure you don't let's want not. me to talk about the vaccine mandate, <laughs> no. but uh, uh, let's give you the uh, the news as of uh, what are, what time? Is I know it? by the second. I think six <laughs> fifteen on uh, on December twenty oh, seventh. So I want to go over some of the uh, policies and memos to states and regions that come out on a regular basis by uh, CMS. I'll, I'll give a link to all of these that we're going to go over. Uh, but uh, a couple of them are very important 
and relate specifically to ASCs or include ASCs. And we'll start with QSO 22-04-ALL. Uh, and this is the uh, a uh, regulation change that basically put the CMS regulation that would inf- would require all staff in a Medicare certified organization to be vaccinated. Uh, and this is uh, so the title of this is Enforcement of Rule Imposing Vaccine Requirement for Healthcare Staff in Medicare and Medicaid Certified Providers and Suppliers is suspended so long as court ordered injunctions remain in effect. And again, I'll put a link in our uh, show notes here. And this is a summary of the uh, policy memo. Uh, survey enforcement of vaccine requirement for healthcare staff and Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, certified providers is suspended while the court-ordered injunctions are in effect. The Med- Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services will not enforce the new rule regarding vaccination of healthcare workers or requirements for policies and procedures and se- certified Medicare and Medicaid providers such as ASCs um, while there are court-ordered injunctions in place prohibiting enforcement of the provision. Note that some states have requ- regulations that require vaccination and those would preempt the federal regulation. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, will hold a special meeting, a uh, special hearing in January to consider uh, the cases, the recent cases uh, involving both the OSHA and the CMS federal COVID-19 vaccination mandates. Of most relevance for ASCs uh, is, of course, the CMS mandate. The CMS mandate, which applies to eligible staff at healthcare facilities participating in the Medicare and Medicaid programs, is blocked in a number of states. And these are the states. So these only these states would be blocked as of uh, the time we recorded this on, on December 27th. Arizona, Alabama, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and West Virginia. The court will consider emergency requests on January 7th, and we'll have much more information at that point. In a statement that was issued on December 22nd, the White House said it is confident in the legal authority for both policies, that is the CMS and the OSHA, and that the Justice Department will vigorously defend both at the Supreme Court. They want to. Uh, they went on to say, especially as the U.S. faces the highly transmissible Omicron variant, it is critical to protect workers with vaccination requirements and testing protocols that are urgently needed, the statement said. At a critical moment for the nation's health, the OSHA vaccination or testing rule ensures that employers are protecting their employees and the CMS healthcare vaccination requires requirement ensures that providers are protecting their patients. So again, those states that I mentioned, um, they the CMS mandate cannot be implemented at this time until the court order is, uh, is reviewed by um, the court on January 7th. All other states, uh, the vaccine requirement would be in place unless it changes after this recording uh, or unless, like in the state of New York, there's another vaccine requirement already in place. Boy, this gets very complicated, doesn't it? So QSO 2203 relates to the end of the temporary hospital for ASCs. So this, uh, it was titled Ending the Streamlined Process for Ambulatory Surgical Centers and Independent Freestanding Emergency Departments to Temporarily Enroll as Hospitals During the COVID-19 Public Health Emergency. So we're aware that CMS allowed ASCs uh, under certain circumstances to convert to a hospital to be able to take on the additional cases and to get additional reimbursement while hospitals were unable to do this. This was implemented way uh, back in the early part of the uh, pandemic in mm-hmm. 2020. I don't think too many people actually did that. It seemed very, yeah. very complicated. I think but. when we talked to um, 
the ASC Association about this, they indicated that less than 20 surgery centers did this. Um, so CMS is announcing the ending of the flexibility of a streamlined process to allow ASCs and licensed independent freestanding emergency departments to temporarily temporarily enroll as hospitals during the emergency or during the public health emergency. And effective upon issuance of the memo, no new ASCs uh, may be able to enroll as hospitals. Uh, Those facilities that are temporarily enrolled as hospitals under this flexibility can continue providing inpatient and outpatient hospital services until, number one, they voluntarily terminate um, their enrollment. Uh, Number two, CMS initiates enforcement action for any facility that is noncompliant with the applicable participation requirements to the extent that it's not waived, or three, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services determines that uh, there no longer is a public health emergency due to COVID-19, or lastly, CMS provides additional public notice that this guidance has ceased to be effective. Again, I'll give a uh, link to the uh, the information about this. I think this really affects very few of uh, our listeners mm-hmm. here, but uh, for, but it's too late. If you wanted to sign up to become a hospital, uh, your chance is over now. So memo QSO 2202-ALL, changes to COVID-19 survey activities and increased oversight in nursing homes. Now, of course, we the nursing home part we won't worry about. Right. And I'll just give a quick summary. CMS remains committed to taking critical steps to protect vulnerable Americans to ensure the nation's health care facilities are prepared to respond to the coronavirus disease 2019 um, public health emergency. CMS is announcing steps to assist state survey agencies in addressing the backlog of complaint and recertification surveys. These steps include revising the criteria for conducting COVID-19-focused infection control surveys, guidance for resuming recertification surveys, and temporary guidance and minor flexibilities related to complaint investigations. CMS is increasing oversight in nursing homes to allow a more focused review of quality of life and quality of care concerns. Now, I know there a lot of the surveys really, they kind of fell off. It seemed mm-hmm. like for a little while we were doing a lot of those um, infection control surveys, but then I think it was just got overwhelming. So it's interesting to hear there. Well, and I think one of the important things to take out of this is there still is quite a bit of a focus on nursing homes. So mm-hmm. nursing home surveys are going to be a higher focus. Any surveys that are focused on infection control uh, be in any environment, uh, including ASCs, those are still going to be cert- uh, going to be prioritized. Mm-hmm. But you know, as the as the memo stated in the early days, the public of the public health emergency in an effort to control the spread of COVID nineteen, CMS developed a uh, a focused infection control survey and directed the state agencies to focus their efforts on infection prevention and control. Uh, and additionally, in order to prevent the spread. So they basically slowed down all mm-hmm. of the other activities that they had, except, you know, complaint and abuse. Immediate jeopardy. Uh, yeah, right. So they really limited the number of uh, surveys. And they were also trying to to, uh, to not put their surveyors in harm's way also as a result of uh, what was going on. So CMS limited on-site surveys and acta- activities to these very specific types of surveys. And as a result of this temporary suspension and reprioritization of the survey activity, um, um, you know, across the country, it resulted in a uh, a backlog of complaint and recertification surveys that had to be investigated. So these are the actions that they're going to be taking. Okay, FIC or um, Focused Infection Control Surveys. CMS is rescinding the requirement to conduct FIC surveys within three to five days of an outbreak of COVID-19. State agencies may still conduct these surveys when concerns relating to managing COVID-19 or infection control pra- practices arise, which is good because... 
COVID-19 is kind of breaking out everywhere. They, yeah. And they, it's not they could never keep up. Soon, yeah. Right? So it's still an important focus. Yeah. But they did say that they're going to resume standard recertification surveys and state agencies will conduct, continue to conduct recertification surveys, but do not need to conduct additional recertification surveys to make up for any survey that could not be completed during the COVID-19 crisis. In other words, the state agencies will resume the normal survey schedule moving forward as described in more detail a little bit later on in the guidance. So temporary guidance and flexibilities. As described below, CMS is providing temporary guidance and minor flexibilities for state agencies to work through the current backlog of complaints and recertification surveys that is um, a direct result of the suspension of certain on-site survey activities in an effort to control the spread of COVID-19. So this is the recommendations they made. So they recommended that state agencies prioritize those recertification surveys. And I bet a lot of our listeners probably are going to be among that list if they're relying on the state agency to do the survey. Mm -hmm. Um, And the recommendations are according to the potential risk to residents such as, and they use the term residents, we would use the term patients, such as facilities with a history of noncompliance or allegations of noncompliance with any of the following items, abuse or neglect, infection control, violations of transfer or discharge requirements, insufficient staffing or competency, and other quality of care issues, for example, falls, et cetera. So I think the big takeaway from this, Sue, is that uh, we can't expect uh, recertification surveys to uh, to start ramping up again, but they are still going to be priority because there's such a big backlog of these uh, mm-hmm. uh, of these surveys. They're going to be focusing on those organizations that have had past problems with infection control, uh, past history of uh, you know like condition level noncompliance or an immediate jeopardy, mm-hmm. uh, or even allegations of noncompliance. So I think they're going to still be watching out for those complaint surveys too. So, so we had a question from one of our uh, clients this week about the KN95 masks, and we did a little bit more research into it because we know that double masking has become common, especially since, you know, you have to replace those masks after every uh, procedure in a procedure room. So mm-hmm. anybody wearing a KN95 mask uh, has to replace that mask, you know, when they go to another patient. And uh, that, of course, can be quite an expense. So a number of organizations, and we have made these recommendations in the past, uh, have uh, been double masking. So the KN95 would be underneath Mm -hmm. and you'd wear the surgical mask over it. Well, it turns out, and I'll I'll provide a link. So CMS is recommending that you do not double mask with a KN95 or, of course, an N95. They believe it, it can change the fit. Yeah, they actually uh, put out a uh, a document that uh, specifically said, do not combine two disposable masks, which I know I've been seeing quite a bit of again out there. Uh, And disposable masks Mm -hmm. are not designed to fit tightly, and wearing more than one will not improve the fit. And again, the KN95 mask, as Sue said, you can't wear a KN95 mask without with any other masks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, stock up on those KN95s and and recognize you're going to have to replace them in between patients. Okay, that's it for the news right now. That was quite a bit to, to go through. We'll uh, do another episode in another day or so with other news. But I did want to get an interview in here. During the Ohio State Association meeting, we had a chance to uh, to interview Tori Kalett, who is an old friend of ours. Uh, well, she's not old, but she's a friend of ours for many years, uh, worked at one of our sites, and she now works with USPI. And she did a, uh, a great presentation at the uh, State Association uh, meeting there in Ohio on doing this will make your center a top performer. So let's take a short break and we'll come back and we'll listen to that interview.
Listeners of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey can enhance their listening experience by becoming a patron member and gain access to ASC Central, our one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance, operations, and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is the longest-running podcast dedicated exclusively to the ASC industry. ASC Central provides members with a wealth of management tools and resources, including regular members-only Zoom sessions with John and other members to discuss relevant topics, federal regulations and interpretive guidelines and state regulations, checklists for administrators and nurse managers, example meeting minute templates, example policies and procedures, budget and financial projection tools, risk assessments, example forms, and access to the same training programs that CMS surveyors use to learn how to survey, and much, much more. Members also get discounts on books written by John Gailey ranging from $10 to $80 per book and can even schedule a personalized mock survey with John and save over $1,000. CASC certified administrators receive AEU credits just for listening to the podcast and taking a short quarterly quiz. For more information and to access this additional content, please visit ASCPodcast.com or ASC-Central.com. So this is John Gale. I'm here with Sue Cronkite, and uh, we're interviewing Tori Kalick. Tori, you've been a, a friend of ours for a long time, and I, I guess I have to kind of mention here that your old center, the center that uh, you, you came from before you went to your current employment, uh, was our first client at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and is still, you know, is now our oldest client. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for the trust you had in our company and, uh, and all of the great years we had together. And now, Tori, tell us about where you are. I uh, work for a national company. I work for AmSurge. I am a senior clinical director. Um, I really enjoy what I'm doing and working with, um, at the current time, 16 different centers and different center administrators. I think the part that I like the best about it is my position is all clinical now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, being a nurse, the business side of being an administrator was a little bit more foreign to me. I feel like I learned a lot and and you really taught me a lot the, Thank you. the five or six years that you guys were with me as as the administrator, um, especially when I covered all the different roles in the, the <laughs> office so for a couple of years there <laughs> while we were looking for other people and everything. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. and. Well, I think that's one thing for nurses, you know. I mean, you, you can get through the administrative stuff, but your first love is always taking care of the patients, taking care of other nurses, mm-hmm. and uh, you always did a great job of that. And I, well, thank you. They, they, I, I'm sure they're they're enjoying that interaction. Plus, the fact that you know, uh, just like I had 17 years as an administrator, you had a lot of years in the trenches. So when you're working yeah. with all those centers, they can't come back and say, "Well, you don't understand what it's really like here." And you know, that's been one thing that I've really. I, I worked there for 12 years and I started the place and I really thought I would just like, you know, retire there. But yeah. um, it was really scary starting out again. Mm-hmm. But I'm really happy I did it because I feel like when I do work with my administrators, you're right. I, I can say, no, I already did that. <laughs> and, right. and that You've doesn't work. That. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or I understand where you're coming from. You know, HR was always... A yeah. sticking point and always hard, you know, mm-hmm. you're a nurse, you're not a human yeah. resources. And there's a lot of rules and laws that you don't even know as right. a nurse. Um, so having HR help was, was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you're here at the Ohio State Association uh, Conference, and did you anger somebody that you're the last person uh, on the agenda? <laughs> or, or maybe it's because they knew your speech was going to be the best and it will keep people until the no, end. No, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with being the last. Um, I, I was at a different time slot, and they asked me to move back because uh, uh, somebody had a flight to catch that yeah. was speaking, and I was like, perfect, because the more people that are gone, the better I'll feel anyhow standing up there in front of everybody. You're going to do a great um, job. It's and you know, so the funny thing about my uh, um, presentation, which is called Doing This Will Make Your Center a Top Performer, mm-hmm. is the biggest thing that I've noticed is everything that I say in here, mm-hmm. somebody's already said it. Yeah. Mm. At least twice or more. Yeah. I mean, so everything that I feel like I'm going to go over has already been gone over. So yeah. I think that kind of reinforces in my yeah. mind mm-hmm. exactly what I'm trying to explain to you. This is not a catch-all. It does not talk about every single thing you need to do right. to make your center wonderful. <gasps> but it does talk about the top things because everybody else has been talking about these yeah. for two days now. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. Pulls well, all together. I think that's, you know, I did a speech just a couple hours ago. And, I you know, one of the things that we always want to do is – you know, when you talk for an hour, you're going to talk about a lot of different things, but you got to leave them with some real bullet points that they take away from it. And hopefully that'll be what triggers them. And so the first line in your description says, adding a few important details to everyday life can help your center be a top performer. So tell us what those, you know, we'll go right to the point. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's go right to the point here. All right. So some of my top things are um, quality. Yeah. Quality. <laughs> Quality. Um, there's your three bullets. <laughs> there's, there's three of the five. No, um, you know, my. I think the hardest thing that the administrators I work with ask me about are quality studies. And yeah. I am not really sure why everybody's so afraid of them or thinks they're so hard. Mm-hmm. They really, once you start to work on them and look at it, they're really simple. Yeah. And they can make a big difference in your everyday life at your center. I mean, you can really find some things that can be improved and, and make it better for your center. You can stuff financially, um, mm-hmm. stuff just patient safety, and um, they're just real important. I, yeah. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say, but I well, feel like quality studies are the hardest thing for everybody, and yet they should be the simplest thing for yeah. you. That's easier than credentialing, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you really have a lot to worry about when you credential. Are you, yeah. you know, finding the correct information? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any uh, quality impu- improvement study that stands out recently from one of your centers? Um, you got to have one good story out of 16. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I think the biggest one that um, I've been pushing my centers to do is it seems to me like AAAHC is really asking a lot for the MIFUs on everything. Yeah, and they're point. wanting to see the MIFU and that you're doing what the MIFU says. Manufacturer's so, instructions for use, yes, by the way. Yes, thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we all do in this business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we live by initials and everything. Yeah. But um, so that is a study that I have three of my centers doing. Mm-hmm. Do you have all the IM, MIFUs yeah. for all of your patient care equipment? Yeah. And are you following them? Yeah. Because a lot of them are like, yeah, we have all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, but do you have it from 1970? Or do you have the Mm -hmm. one that just came out in 2020 that says you don't clean it with this anymore? You have to use this solution or whatever. And are all of your pages stuck together because it hasn't been opened in eight years? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right, yeah. So that is um, one of the studies that I have people doing. And then one of my centers, um, she took the job as center administrator basically – two weeks before 
AAA watch walked yeah. in for her, and she worked in a hospital before, so AAA was really new to her. And mm-hmm. um, they got cited for a bunch of on their quality studies yeah. because yeah. there wasn't really any done, and she didn't have the time to do them because she just walked in there two weeks yeah. before. And the biggest thing that she did as soon as she took that job was she started going through the cupboards and looking at things. There was stuff in there that was expired from like 10 years. Mm. So she kept, got it upon herself to do a study on mm-hmm. um, expiration dates and making sure that everything was out of there. Mm-hmm. So I literally just helped her write that up a couple of weeks ago yeah. when I was out um, visiting her. And um, I think it's a great study after yeah. we did that yeah. because um, even even after we wrote up the initial, she's now looking at it for the next three months because they have inventory in the middle to see if how well her staff does at picking out stuff that's yeah. expired again. She's going to look mm-hmm. at it after the inventory because, you know, that her restudy was right. in the next three months. So. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, yeah. so think of what you just did. You just helped 300 centers in this country right now to come up with a quality improvement study, which I don't think anybody's talked about. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great quality study. I'm not, um, you know, trying to toot my own horn here, but that was just one thing that I thought of. Yeah. And I never even thought of that when I was an administrator. Right. But just going forward, when I start visiting my centers and I see that they don't have this stuff, it kind of hits me as like, oh, here's a quick study for you. Mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. Well, it's so, so funny because, of course, Sue is working with your former center right now to get the quality improvement study. So <laughs> I, I noticed that she was frantically writing notes as we were preparing for this. So I, I think we got the problem solved. So what else are you going to talk about as uh, some t- top things? Oh, some of the other top things. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, staff evaluations mm-hmm. because uh, the state of Ohio says they have to be done annually. Oh, really? Where AAAHC says periodic. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to really be careful in, in your state as mm-hmm. to what does your state actually say. So and brings um, up a very important point that we always have to emphasize is that we spend so much time concentrating on the federal conditions for coverage and the interpreted guidelines that sometimes I find a lot of places don't even look at their state regs. Very good point. Right, right, yeah. and yeah. See, I'm 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 fighting with a a center right now that wants to drop the H and P. Because yeah. it's it's a nice eye center, and you know they don't feel like they need to do their H and P's, but they're AAA HC certified, and their state says they have to do an H and P. So it's not I'm not really fighting with the center. I'm just um, sending the information Make to the more. center leader so that she has the paperwork in her hand to back up when she, when this medical yeah. director keeps saying yeah. I don't want to do these. Well, right mm-hmm. here says you have to. Right. Yeah. So um, and, and a little bit of point of reference too, because we as we all know, but again, I'm mate. Uh, explain it to our audience is that it was the ophthalmology society that went to CMS to argue to have mm-hmm. the requirement mm-hmm. from a CMS from a certification standpoint removed, but it's virtually irrelevant in almost all states and anybody that's accredited because most of the accrediting organizations at least require uh, a uh, an HMP. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the time frame that CMS had, but very good point that most of us really can't take that away. Not to right. mention, I don't think we want to. I mean, I no. get it for some of those local cases, but these major cases, no. Yeah, no, no, there's too many people trying to do surgeries really on patients that that yeah. do need to go to the hospital. I mean, I'm I'm every day, bring them to the ASC, bring them to the right. ASC. But there are the patients that need to go to the hospital, right. you know, that they're they're out there and, you know, yeah. it just, it, it should be done safely. Right, <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. So, Another thing that I, I really wanted to talk about in my talk here was about the Respiratory Protection Program yeah. because ASCs 
haven't had to do this. Yeah. When I first started my center in 2008, we bought one box full of N95s, yeah. you know, thinking, okay, we're going to have this. Yeah. And they sat back on the shelf. They got completely covered in dust. Yeah. <laughs> and then I read somewhere a few years later that if we're going to have these, we have to have a respiratory protection yeah. program in place. And I'm like, oh, yeah. We're not doing this. Throw these masks <laughs> right. away. So, you know, in One week before the pandemic, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably in 2010, we probably threw those things away, like, yeah. you know, two years later. But um, now, because of the pandemic, I do have a whole slide on a respiratory protection program yeah. and handouts on how to at least set this up, just yeah. to help people with it. Because most people probably have it set up, but there are a few little things that you have to have in right. order to do that. And, and for those of you that are listening, uh, and I'll probably try to remember to put a link in here, uh, the good news is this information is available right on the OSHA website. I, yes. There's even sample plans, which I'm sure was right. probably the basis for it. But that's a really good point that yeah. we really need to need to make sure. I can't believe, Tori, how many times I, I walk into a center now and, you know, N95s being used. Of course, N95s being used over and over again, which, mm-hmm. of course, is wrong. Um, and no respiratory protection. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. And then if you have a center that doesn't need the N95 particularly, you can still adapt that program to mm-hmm. fit a KN95. You right. know, you mm-hmm. just you just fit it to what you do in your center. You know, you need that KN95 on your crash cart in case you have to do CPR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing an ocular plastics case, you know, where you need more protection, mm-hmm. then you may have to have that N95, you know, in your center. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do anything like that, you yeah. know, adapt your respiratory protection program to the KN95. Very good point. And, and of course, the KN95 is not a respirator, but you're right. Your point, and that's one thing that we have been saying late, lately is that as people are saying, no, I want my N95. I, you know, we actually, uh, we're sitting here, we're, we're actually maskless, which is a lot easier <laughs> to talk. Um, but we have KN95s, you know, sitting mm-hmm. around the table here. Uh, because I, I think people do feel, they, they do fit differently. They do feel well. But if you've been wearing an N95 and you know, convert to this, you don't need the respiratory protection program or more importantly, the fit testing. But you're right. right. If you have the respiratory protection program, at least you can differentiate in the program as to to the attributes of them too. And then um, vaccine management, since we've gone into the COVID era here, um, you know, the triple AHC book now is talking more about the manual, I guess it is, is talking more about vaccine management. And, you know, monitoring your refrigerators is a yeah. lot different than it was even a year ago or, or two years ago. I think the, the book came out in 2020. Yeah, V41. Yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, you, you have to monitor that 24-7 now. Yeah. And does everybody yeah. have that? Like Alethea was talking about somebody put uh, ice in a cup and put a penny on top yeah. for the weekend. Yeah. And if their refrigerator went out, that's how they monitored. It was down at the bottom. <laughs> the penny <laughs> melted. You know, yeah. the ice melted. The penny fell to the bottom, you yeah. know. You need the 24-7 monitoring of your vaccines, and do you want to do that? If you don't want to do that, you know, write your policy that you're not going to keep vaccines, that your vaccine management program is to get your employees vaccinated through occupational health. Right. I mean, you don't have to do it Mm in-house. Your program Mm -hmm. can put you elsewhere to take care of it as long as you're providing something. And I think we do need to point out, too, that we really we are starting to frown upon non-medical grade refrigerators, like we call them dorm room yes. refrigerators. Yes. It's fine for food, not fine for uh, medications in general, and certainly vaccines because mm-hmm. they're just too unstable in terms of their temperature. So yep. great. 
Well, Tori, as always, it's great uh, talking to you. It's great to be in person again. <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad that your uh, your career has really taken off there. I'm, well, I'm, I'm very it. proud Thank of you. you. You've uh, you've uh, worked hard to get to where you are. And I was just telling Tori that I, I'm going to recommend her to be a surveyor with AAAC uh, very <laughs> soon. So as that things opens up, I think you'll be a fantastic surveyor. Thank you. Thank but you. I'd love to do that. As always, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you, John. In this segment, we discuss other learning opportunities in the ASC industry. If you would like your event to be included in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCpodcast.com. So the New Jersey ASC Association uh, has a meeting on January 26, 22 at the Galloping Hills Country Club. I'm going to be there attending. Uh, we'll have a booth there, and uh, Ann Geyer will be there speaking. Uh, so make sure if you're uh, in New Jersey not to miss that event. And then also with the New Jersey Association on June 7th and 8th, 8th, they're going to have their annual conference at the Hilton East Brunswick. And there's more details to come on that, but I will be speaking. I think I'm going to be speaking on governance there, Sue. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a, uh, that's a great conference, always a great conference, and it's great to be back in person on that. ASCA 2022 will be in Dallas April 27th through 30th. John will be speaking there, and there will be a special track for new ASC administrators. Yeah, for more information, go to ASCAssociation.org. I'm very excited to get back there. We're mm -hmm. going to have quite a crowd uh, there, yeah. but that'll be a, a nice thing. I, I've really missed that for two years now. Mm -hmm. We've And they hold it in a beautiful it. place. Yeah, it's huge out there yeah. in Dallas. Well, everything in Dallas is big, but yes. <laughs> this particular conference site, yeah. uh, site is big. And don't forget about all of our upcoming events. We have the ASC Administrators Boot Camp, which will be February 1st through the 4th. Uh, to sign up, go to ASCpodcast.com. And the ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camp will be in May 2022. I haven't announced the date yet, still working on that. Uh, but keep, uh, stay tuned for that information. Again, these boot camps are very extensive. They include a full uh, four-day virtual conference as well as uh, weekly drop-in sessions. Voluntary, you don't have to be there for them if you do not wish to, uh, as well as a lot of resources to help you uh, become a better administrator or director of nursing uh, and also to study for the, uh, the certification exams. I do want to mention all of our recorded events that are available, uh, again, at the ASCpodcast.com website. We have a credentialing conference, which was a full eight hours on how to credential in an ASC environment. We just finished the finance and accounting conference mm -hmm. in uh, December there. That was a two-day conference. Great uh, opportunity to talk about uh, all aspects of ASC finance and really to help uh, – uh, people prepare for that section of the CASC exam if they wish. We do have, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, recorded versions of the boot camps. Uh, not quite as good, I think, as the uh, live experience because you can't interact with other people other than on the weekly drop-in sessions. Uh, but it is still an alternative for those of you that just can't get away for four days. Uh, we just recorded the Conditions for Coverage Conference, another full-day conference, which was in uh, November. And we also, in October, did a medical director conference, which was about a five-hour conference on a Saturday for medical directors. And it's a great opportunity for uh, you to kind of give your medical director an update on what what's expected of them or to kind of introduce a new medical director to the requirements of being a uh, medical director in an ambulatory surgery center. Well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. And please spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues, and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Kalaritis, 
Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, and Ann Geyer. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.